News, notes, and Zola. Next on Baseball HQ Radio. Right-hander for the Giants throws. Swing and a miss! And that's it! The Giants are world champions as they come pouring out of the dugout. Circling Brian Wilson. The bullpen. Flying in from left center field. Dancing. Hugging. And celebrating for all you Giants fans, wherever you are. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April 11th. It's show number 24 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. Of course, we'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing early season management and fab how to play with all these injuries we've been having, and a few words about daily leagues as well. In our regular Friday matchups analysis, BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick looks at Justin Masterson at the White Sox, Tim Hudson hosting the Rockies, and more. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist and co-general manager Ray Murphy talks about his favorite tool in the BaseballHQ.com toolkit. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The injuries keep piling up. We gotta talk some baseball. And boy, do the injuries keep coming. The latest casualty, White Sox outfielder Avisail Garcia, who landed awkwardly while lunging for a fly ball, tore the labrum in his left shoulder and is done for the year. Adrian Beltre in Texas had a low-grade quadriceps strain. He'll stay off the DL for now, but he's had trouble with his quads before. Josh Hamilton out six to eight weeks with a thumb injury. David Robertson a couple of weeks with a groin injury. And of course, we've already seen earlier injuries to enough players to make up a pretty good-looking fantasy team. First baseman Mark Teixeira, second baseman Jurickson Profar, third base Will Middlebrooks, shortstops the Jose's Reyes and Iglesias, outfielders like Garcia and Matt Kemp and Michael Bourne and Shane Victorino, starting pitchers like Clayton Kershaw, Patrick Corbin, Chris Medlin, Brandon Beachy, A.J. Griffin and too many others to count, and even closers like Aroldis Chapman, Bobby Parnell and Casey Jansen. It used to be that playing in shallow mixed leagues meant you didn't really have to know the full rosters of all the teams. Now it seems like you do, just because you're going to have to find replacements while the ambulances drive away. Luckily, our commentators today are hale and hearty. Todd Zola will be up a little later, and we have pitcher matchups with Greg Fishwick and Master Notes with Ray Murphy. Right now, our first inning, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League, and to lead off, the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Always good to be here. Nick, let's start with uh, Dan Becker's batting buyer's guide column this week at BaseballHQ.com. Among the players he mentioned, Matt Adams, the first baseman in St. Louis. Uh, A lot of people very high on Matt Adams coming into drafts this year, seeing some extra playing time moving up from a part-time player to pretty much a full-time player, and uh, his average draft position soared up into the uh, early 50s, which is a pretty lofty position for a guy with really not much of a track record. And I think Dan Becker's point here is be wary of what you wish for. 
Yeah, definitely, I think. You know, I think with Matt Adams, there are lots of good things about Matt Adams. I mean, this guy is hitting the ball hard. He's got excellent excellent power index, a 153 PX last year, uh, a, a good hard contact rate, uh, everything you would look for in a power hitter. But but as Dan Becker says, there's some warts that we need to watch out for with, with Matt Adams, especially as he steps into a full-time role for the first time. Here's a guy with um, with a fairly low 70s contact rate, so-so uh, eh, walk rate, a 0.29 batting eye. He hit 284 last year. Uh, can he do that again? Well, XBA was 262 last year. And then Dan Becker points out as well, this is a guy who struggled against left-handed pitching, and suddenly he's in a full-time role. So while you may get excellent power out of Matt Adams this year, you might not get all the batting average you're expecting out of him. I mean, that 284 may look really, really good by the end of the year if Matt Adams is hitting 230 because he's faced a bunch of left-handed hitters, so, pitchers. So uh, I think Dan made a good point about, about Matt Adams. Going to be a good ball player, excellent power, but right now has a, uh, a fairly low fly ball rate. Only 36% last season, um, and now is playing full time and getting a lot of bats suddenly against uh, against uh, left-handed pitchers, and uh, that could hurt. His batting splits against left-handers are really worrisome. A uh, couple 300 points of OPS difference, and that that matters because eventually, not only are you not getting the production, but you run the risk of having him lose his bat- at bats against them all together, which affects his counting stats. Yeah, very definitely. Although you know, in some ways, if his, if his batting average goes too low. Uh, you may, in fact, uh, be, be better off if he's not hitting against left-handers. But Matt Adams is going to do well. We're not saying he's not. He's going to probably hit over 20 home runs and, and get a good number of RBIs. But uh, Dan Becker says, beware of the B.A. And I think that's a reasonable thing to, to think about. And uh, I, I worry about those folks who drafted him in the uh, in the 50s. Uh, probably not going to live up to that kind of a billing. Becker also covered Chris Owings, the shortstop in Arizona. He won a, a spirited spring training battle with Didi Gregorius out there to get the job. And uh, Becker's column is called First Time, Full Time, uh, guys who are taking over that role as a full-time player for the first time. And uh, Chris Owings is a guy he looked at uh, as well. You know, Chris Owings is, a, is a, um, a guy who looks like he could be kind of interesting in a shortstop position. He's got some power. He's got some speed. Uh, we're projecting 10 home runs, 12 stolen bases, kind of a 42 RBI, so somewhere in that area. Uh, and skill is actually his best speed at this point. Uh, but uh, his stolen base percentage is not real good. Um, a very talented offensive player, but likely to struggle in his first year, and that's what that's what Becker talks about. Is he's still very raw. Uh, a lot of things to learn about playing Major League Baseball uh, for him, and uh, it's it's great that he's got a full time job. But uh, he's not the guy I would put out there as my starting shortstop if I had other options. Uh, kind of, I think a shaky investment for this season may look a lot better down the road as he has a chance to grow some of those offensive skills. Yeah, we're projecting about a twelve dollar player for the rest of the season. It seems about right. So. Not not a horrible uh, guy to have on your roster, but certainly not a uh, linchpin for for a roster as well. Uh, Stephen Nick Rand, uh, Nick, it seems like we're always talking about Stephen's columns. He does such a great job covering the starting pitchers, and he had a really interesting column here last week about six starters, those guys who are basically one injury away from finding their way into the rotation. And a name that really jumped out at me was the relief pitcher Carlos Martinez. Yeah, Carlos Martinez. Carlos Martinez uh, struggled a little bit last year uh, in his first year in St. Louis. He got uh, he was in the bullpen. He got uh, just one start, but a 5.08 ERA. Um, you know the kind of thing you look at and go, ah, I don't know about this guy. But overall, a 90 BPV, which was which is really very very good, almost elite. Uh, excellent excellent strikeout rate. 
uh, almost uh, between seven and seven and a half, seven point six. Uh, walked less than three batters per nine innings. Fifty-two percent ball ground ball rate. Here's a guy who's going to start out in the bullpen in St. Louis and really was kind of a premium prospect a year ago. Uh, a lot of folks may forget about him because he's now at a bullpen role, but uh, certainly he's a guy who could step into that St. Louis rotation, giving an injury, uh, given an injury, and do very, very well. Uh, he's off to a good start in his first six innings, five strikeouts. Uh, could be a, a, a solid bullpen option anyway, but if he gets a starting gig, uh, certainly his value would shoot up. And he had a really nice-looking spring as well. Uh, Nick, uh, Tanner Rourke, a starting pitcher in Washington, probably not on a lot of rosters, but I know that you have taken a role writing about uh, matchups in the BaseballHQ.com matchups tool, and th- this is a terrific tool, first of all. And second of all, why isn't Tanner Rourke getting more love than he should than he is? Because according to you, he should be getting plenty. Well, he should be getting plenty. You know, if you what, one of the interesting things I found about the matchups, the, if you want a quick a quick scan of pitchers who are doing well is to look at that matchups column and look at the green numbers and those green numbers are guys who have especially good matchups and would expect to pitch a great game this week um and so you you know you stand the green and you see guys like uh, adam wainwright and uh madison bumgarner and uh, steven strasberg and all the names you'd expect you go yeah so what and then you go down there and you see tanner rourke with a higher matchup score than any of them and you go huh and that makes you stop and really look at this guy a year ago, Tanner Rourke had five starts, came up kind of August-September-ish for, um, uh, for the Nationals. Five starts, uh, spent August in the bullpen, 1.51 ERA, 40 strikeouts in 54 innings, uh, a BPV of 99, looked very, very good, and jumps out at you on those, those matchup charts when you look at them and, and go, uh, who's that? So, you know, one of the things that I do on the matchup charts myself is I'll, I'll scan them every week and look for guys who, whose numbers jump out in green and sure it may be because they've got a decent matchup that week maybe they're pitching against Florida or someone else who's struggling but when a guy shows up as the top matchup of the week uh, then you, you it's worth looking at especially if he's on nobody's roster uh, so that's just kind of something I think to look at in those terms. I, I haven't gotten to write about Tanner Rourke in the matchup columns yet because he's the fifth starter or sixth starter for Washington, kind of still competing for that role, and they're, they're bumping him around. If they get a rain out, they put Tanner Rourke back in the bench and pitch somebody on their regular rotation. So uh, I've written about him twice and had to pull him both times because Tanner Rourke wound up not pitching, but or one day he pitched early. Um, that's the kind of thing you want to look at in those matchup charts, I think, is uh, is guys who are doing well and are a little bit under the radar. And in the uh, ESPN leagues, at least, he's owned in less than 1% of leagues, so there's a very good chance Tanner Rourke and other guys like him will be available for you to pick up uh, on a selective basis based on those uh, starting pitcher metrics that we're using at BaseballHQ.com. For the season, we're projecting uh, maybe nine wins or so in a f- an ERA around four, so not too great, but I I like this guy also in keeper leagues, Nick. He's a young kid, and Washington does a good job with its pitchers. Yeah, Washington does a very good job with its pitchers, and, you know, Tanner Rourke is not as short of a roster spot yet. He's still competing with with Taylor Jenkins for that number five spot, and we'll see who goes down when Doug Fister comes back up, but here's a guy who's likely to be, as as we talked about, the six starters. If he's not the number five starter, he's going to be the number six and is likely to wind up back in the rotation before the season's over. So certainly someone to keep in mind. 
And finally, Nick, most of the time we're talking in the context of fantasy leagues that are fairly shallow. You have a lot of selection that you can go to in the free agent pool, so there's not a lot of reason to roster certain kinds of players, especially pitchers. But in deeper leagues, uh, single league formats like where you have National League teams only or American League teams only, it's really important to know that there are pitchers and other kinds and hitters who can contribute without necessarily having big names or, or even big roles. And what a guy who really jumps out at me like that in the National League is uh, the relief pitcher Paco Rodriguez in L.A. He's sort of a prototype of what we used to call a Lima guy. Yeah, but Paco Rodriguez I like a lot. I mean, Paco Rodriguez, in the leagues in which I play in, the single league, strikeouts count. And Paco Rodriguez gets a lot of strikeouts with a low ERA and a good whip. So, yeah, Paco Rodriguez is the kind of guy that really does jump out at you in a sort of a deepish league or a uh, um, a uh, NL-only league. Um, and so those are guys worth looking at, too. Relief pitchers who pitch 50, 60 games, get a bunch of strikeouts, maybe a mainly a lefty killer. Uh, but they can be very valuable in, in a fantasy, fantasy league. In last year, in 2013, uh, a 232 ERA, a 0.90 whip, that's, that's really getting the job done. And as you say, 63 strikeouts in 76 innings, that's uh, also getting the job done. And, and another guy who's likely to be available in many, many leagues. Yeah, last year that, that line that he rang up was worth about eight bucks, and I'll bet you anything that nobody paid more than a dollar for him at draft if they had, if they had to draft him at all. Yeah, I, would, I would bet that's true, or if they got him during the, during the season, uh, probably didn't spend more than a buck on the free agent wire to pick him up. Exactly right. These are the kind of players who win your leagues. Nick, thanks very much for talking with us. I understand you're on your way to Disneyland, uh, Disney World. Have a, have a good time down there, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Wish I could bring some of my fantasy players along and see if they could uh, sparkle up their performance. Well, I, I, could, uh, I could cry you a river on that topic myself, Nick. Thanks very much. Harold Nichols is our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hey, PD, good to be here. Boy, have we had a lot of injuries. Uh, I'm talking about some of the injuries later with Todd Zola. I talked about them in the introduction to this show, and a lot of them happening in the American League. Uh, the biggest injury might be on the West Coast, where Josh Hamilton was starting to look like he was setting up for a pretty good year. Instead, he slides into first base in Seattle, always a bad idea, tore a thumb ligament, done for six to eight weeks. You wrote about this in playing time today. What does this mean for the Angels? Who gets the playing time and so on? Well, this is this is critical for the Angels because, uh, like you mentioned, Hamilton was really their most potent offensive force to date, and he was looking a lot like the Hamilton of old. And the the Angels are real uneven offensively; they they don't have a lot of depth. Um, they're going to try to mix and match to try to gener- generate some offense beyond uh, Mike Trout and Albert Pujols. They'll they'll put Ibanez in the outfield occasionally. They'll give in Stewart some at bats uh, from the DH and first base spot if uh, Pujols DHs. And they'll even play Colin Cowgill against left-handed pitching. And this happened, we saw, in the first game after Hamilton's injury. But the main beneficiary of Hamilton's injury from a playing time standpoint looks like it's going to be his roster replacement, J.B. Shuck. Yeah, we talked about J.B. Shuck a week or two ago. It looks like he's right back where he started last year when Burgos got injured. Yeah, he did a surprisingly good job filling in for, for Peter Borjos. He, uh, he has really good contact and really good speed, and his ability to ha- hit left-handed pitching as a left-handed hitter, he turned that into a really useful 293, 331, 366 slash line over 437 at-bats, and it earned $13 uh, last year. 
he doesn't have any power and he and he doesn't have any kind of a running game so his uh his performance is really entirely dependent on a moderately inflated hit rate for value but with his contact and speed i'm not sure why he can't approach that again if he gets the at bats but as you say, the uh, counting stats are going to be few and far between. It's not like this is going to be a, a, a huge fantasy benefit to roster J.B. Shuck. No, that's right. Uh, no home runs, no stolen bases. It's really all batting average dependent. But then again, in a, in, a, in a time where batting average seems to be slipping and pitching is dominated, he can be useful to some, to some le- in some leagues. Oh, definitely. There's always a chance that a guy can fill in even in a single category and make a difference in the standings. A lot of fantasy leagues now especially have batting average categories that are very tight. And if you can take a 260 hitter off your roster and add a 290 hitter onto your roster, all other things being equal, you can pick up some ground in the batting average category. Uh, Also, the Mariners suffered a loss with rookie starting pitcher James Paxton, and they were counting on this guy. But he strained a lat muscle, he's been taken out of the game, and now he's on the 15-day DL. Rod Truesdell noted the injury in playing time today. What does this mean for Seattle's rotation? You know, this could be more of a significant injury than some think. Paxton was really pitching well. Um, I watched him in Anaheim. He, he pitched one of the best games I've seen a pitcher pitch all year. His mechanics were really in line. He seemed to have turned a corner. But he has a history of, 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 of nagging injuries and, and poor mechanics, and he may find it tough to regain his form no matter how moderate this injury is. Uh, the good news for Seattle is that they have Taiwan Walker returning from, from shoulder woes that left him without any spring training innings, and he's looking real impressive in his minor league starts. The bad news is that they have an inexperienced rookie in Rowenis Elias and a past prime veteran in, in Chris Young manning their number four and number five spots until Walker and Hisashi Iwakuma return. Okay, so Elias, Chris Young, any upside picking either of these guys in a fab bid? You know, um, Young has been injured so often in the last three years. I, I can't see I can't see picking him up for any extended time. Um, I think uh, the result or, the results are pretty predictable. He's kind of long in the tooth. Um, Elias is interesting in that he has live stuff, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. If you look at what he's done in two starts to date, he's put up a 270 ERA in 10 innings. But his, his expected ERA is 4.30. He's doing a lot of it with smoke and, and mirrors. He needs some experience before I think he can produce uh, over um, an extended period of time in the majors. A lot of closer issues. We'll talk about Jim Johnson in just a moment. But first, Yankees closer David Robertson, another injury victim. He went down with a strained groin. Now, the Yankees said that Sean Kelly was going to be picking up the closer role while Robertson was on the DL, but it could be that they're going to be doing closing by committee for the time being. What's going on there? Yeah, Kelly's one of those guys who doesn't fare well on being used in successive days, and the Yankees freely admitted this. So they're going to use some different names if they have a run of close contests. And uh, um, just this past Thursday night, David Phelps actually had a a two-and-one-third inning save versus Boston. Um, you've also got Matt Thornton, who can come in and get hitters out from the left side. A name to watch, in my opinion, might be Dellen Batances, who has great stuff and his command is improving. If he gets a chance during this period while um, uh, Robertson is out, he might be able to elevate himself in the New York Yankee uh, bullpen pecking order. Yeah, Batances has looked good in flashes as a starter in the minor leagues, but always had trouble with his command, and if he's getting that down... He's certainly got that kind of electric stuff you're looking for, high strikeouts, and uh, make him a candidate to be a closer, if not now, maybe sometime in the future. Certainly a chance to showcase his skills. Another ugly-looking injury the other night. uh, The White Sox were playing, and uh, outfield Avisail Garcia was diving for a fly ball 
all of a sudden, boom, he's done for the year. He tore his labrum in his left shoulder, which is a very serious injury. And Mike Shears wrote about that at BaseballHQ.com in Playing Time Today. With Garcia out for the year, who's the beneficiary? Well, it's going to be uh, Diane Vicieto, it looks like. In fact, uh, Robin Ventura announced that he'll get the majority of the playing time with the uh, new call-up, uh, Jordan Danks, backing him up. Um, the, the White Sox outfield was always, was already a little uh, crowded after their pickup uh, in the offseason of, um, of um, uh, Adam Eaton and, uh, and Garcia. Vicieto's an interesting guy in that he has a lot of power, but his track record against right-handed pitching is awful. He's a right-handed hitter. And he, he doesn't have a lot of pitch selection. He hits the ball on the ground. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. Uh, the, the power is always attractive in the cell if he, can, if he can get it to work for him. Yeah, the problem is I've had Diane Vicieto on some rosters, and his power is kind of hit or miss, uh, a little bit intermittent, shall we say. And he certainly doesn't bring a lot else to the table. No, you're right. And, uh, and without that pitch selection, if he can't loft the ball, um, he's he's not going to be he's not going to be worth anything. His batting average is going to be middling to subpar. Um, he, he he if he can put the ball in the air in U.S. cellular, he's got a chance. But it, he hasn't shown he can do this consistently throughout his career. And let's not forget that the White Sox play in the cell half the time, but most of the rest of the time they're playing in Kansas City, Detroit. Minnesota, places where power is pretty tough to come by. So, uh, I mean, Diane Vicieto gets more at-bats, and that's fine, but I wouldn't be looking to Diane Vicieto as a uh, uh, hallelujah moment to, to pick up a ton of home runs. Uh, and also, uh, Garcia's replacement on the roster, you mentioned Jordan Danks has been called up from Charlotte. Uh, Mike Shears also wrote about him. What's the story on Jordan Danks as any kind of possibility? Well, Danks had a really good spring, um, but in, sp- in spite of the... Uh good-looking numbers there. He averaged a, a strikeout every three at-bats, and he's, and he's followed up at AAA with 11 strikeouts and 22 at-bats and a 182 BA. I just, I wouldn't be rostering Jordan Danks unless there's another injury, and then, it, and then after that, I'd take a hard look at it. If you're playing in a very deep league where you're reaching for the last outfielder on rosters, maybe you take a look at this guy, but in any other kind of format, I just can't see it. He strikes out way too much, as you said. Uh, another team that's had all kind of injury problems is Texas. Gosh, uh, it's like a mash unit down there. And now Adrian Beltre, a borderline Hall of Fame candidate, he's out with a strained quadriceps, not the first time for leg injuries for Adrian Beltre. Rod Truesdell said in Playing Time Today that the diagnosis starts with a grade one strain, which means Beltre doesn't go on the DL at least right away. But what's going on here? Well, it kind of puts Texas in a little bit of no man's land. They've um, covered themselves at third, third base by adding Kevin Kuzman off. There's a blast from the past yeah. uh, to their roster and designating uh, relief pitcher Seth Rosen for assignment, at least in the short term. Um, Kuzman off uh, had, had shown some major league power in, a, in, in his career a long time ago with San Diego, but uh, his, uh, his, his pitch selection isn't much of anything. And uh, and his batting average was was on the decline for a long time. The the Rangers also have Donnie Murphy who can play third base as well. So they're treading water until they see what happens to Beltre. I'm not sure I would roster either of these names right now. I mentioned that uh, Beltre has had some leg injuries in the past. The last couple of years he's got all of his at-bats in, played almost all the games. But uh, does this concern you as a Beltre owner or a potential Beltre owner? Uh, uh, you mentioned blast from the past in connection with Kevin Kuzminov, but this leg injury is a blast from the past too, and not in a good way. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, Beltre is, is if, if you're a Texas fan, Beltre might be their most significant player. And uh, he's not getting any younger either. And you mentioned his leg history. I'd be very concerned if I were an Adrian Beltre owner. Also on the West Coast, something you wrote about uh, last Tuesday in your American League West playing time tomorrow. Indeed, as you predicted, Oakland closer Jim Johnson is out of the closer role, at least temporarily. I believe the wording they used was giving him a break from closing. And he's going to be replaced by a committee. So tell us your thinking about what's going on there, and do you have any kind of projection where the saves are going to land? Well, the reason I I thought this might happen is I I watched him in his first two performances. Something seemed off. He was really booed off the mound in Oakland, uh, um, his new home, after that second performance. Uh, He'd blown a save. Um, The A's have a really good bullpen. They can take a little time to get him straightened out and, and, and go by a closer by committee. I still think that the A's want Johnson to succeed. Um, um, they, they, they spent a lot of money to bring him over from Baltimore. Obviously, the, the front office wants him to succeed, and Billy Bean usually gets what he wants. So unless his performance is permanent, he gets the roll back. Now, that said, Johnson's never been, like I said in my piece, a particularly bulletproof closer. Um, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, his control has always been terrific, but that's been the problem in the short term here. He's walking. He's walking, guys. And, and if you're not missing bats and you're walking, guys, pretty much anything can happen, and, and that's what happened to him against the Twins uh, the other day. I would consider this actually a buying opportunity from the weak hands in your league. If you've got a Johnson owner um, who will give him away for a song, take a chance on him because I think he'll be back in the closer role at some point soon. I think you're right, and uh, and the reason I think so is I had him on a team a few years ago when he was with Baltimore, and he had a two-week or maybe 17-day stretch where he couldn't get anybody out. He lost five games in a row or something or blew five saves in a row and lost all those games. It was horrible. And they took him out of the closer role, same thing, giving him a break. And then uh, he came back and he was lights out for the rest of the year, finished with uh, 50-ish sort of saves even despite the two-week interruption. So uh, I think Jim Johnson will be okay. Also something I heard him say uh, piqued my interest, and that was when he was interviewed about his uh, lack of success. His reasoning was, he said, that his fastball has too much movement on it and he can't get it under control. And, Jock, a little bit of control goes a long way. If if your worst problem is your fastball has too much movement, that's not a bad problem to have. No, that's right. And uh, and uh, like you, I expect to see him get another chance real soon. Uh, the only thing that'll keep him out of this out of the role again is if his problems are permanent and I just I don't see it right now. In the meantime, the saves that are going to be dished around, they've got a lot of options here from the left side, Sean Doolittle from the right side, Ryan Cook. Probably the front guy for the saves in the short run anyway will be Luke Gregerson. The uh, A's do not lack for alternatives. They got a deep bullpen. This is really an easy way to go for Oakland. They could stay in this committee for another week or two until um until Jim Johnson gets his stuff back, and it, and it may only last a couple days, too. So um, this is good timing if, uh, if you've got an owner uh, who, who isn't particularly fond of Jim Johnson and, and wants to get rid of him. Finally, we have, uh, let's do some uh, just short looks at some of the other injuries that took place. Omar Infante got hit in the face with a pitch. They called up Johnny Giovatella. He's never been successful. Would you sign uh, Johnny Giovatella to any kind of fab no, I'd pretty much stay away from Giovatella. He's been up a couple of times. He's never proven anything at the uh, at the major league level. He's been pretty good in AAA, but uh, the, the Royals think Infante's going to be back pretty soon. I think this is just a stopgap measure. I think Giovatella has proved something at the major league level. He can't hit. <laughs> uh, 
Oswaldo Arcia, we've all been kind of waiting on Oswaldo Arcia. I know I have in my American League only. He, we've been waiting for him to start hitting some home runs, and now he's back on the DL with another wrist injury. That means, uh, among other things, more time for Colabello in the lineup. And Jason Kubel maybe gets some time. What's going on in Minnesota, do you think? R.C. has been kind of a disappointment. He always seems to have something happen when he hits the majors. Um, he's had injuries before, and I think he's had wrist injuries before. They think it's minor. I think you and I both hope it's minor since we both own him. Um, what this does is interesting. It puts Jason Kubel in the outfield, and I'm not sure the Twins had planned on putting him there. He was the DH to begin the year. Uh, it gives Chris Colabello some more time at uh, at DH and spelling Joe Maurer at first base uh, to show what he can do. And, of course, you've got the new call-up, Darren Mastoriani, who um, used to be a base dealer until he had a, a leg injury a few years ago. Maybe he, could, he can pick up a few stolen bases in Minnesota. They're going to try everything because that offense uh, is going to need some help. Well, you said a mouthful there, Jock. Uh, thanks very much for talking with us. I guess we'll catch up with you again in a week's time, talk about the next uh, 20 injuries. Okay, PD. Look forward to talking with you then. All right, Jock. Thanks very much. Uh, that's Jock Thompson, the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. Our regular weekly talk with Todd is next. Todd Zola coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. And I don't want the worst umpire in the league telling me where we are in the standing. He can call me a horse manager. I'll buy that. But I don't need to be reminded where this club is in the standing by somebody that can't do their job that never has been able to do their job. Myself, the coaches, and the players can take only so much of this crap. That was a classic the last two games, I'm going to tell you right now. 23 years, that's the worst I ever saw. Now, when they want to me personally, again, I don't give a shit, because I got more time than all those out there. But when they start talking about this ball club, don't back me up against the fucking wall. Because if it weren't for the good umpires in the league, all the other guys out there, Brooklyn and Perpetio, would be in the minor league. Maybe. Baseball HQ Radio. Really good to be back, Patrick. We're one week into the season. Uh, A lot of things have happened already. uh, But let me ask you in general... The, the rule that we are always told is when it comes to early season management, don't panic, exercise patience. How do you feel about that? I think big picture wise, I agree. And, you know, we, we, <laughs> we, we won't spend the next half hour preaching patience. I think we've got enough other people out there doing that. But that said, especially I'm finding in the high stakes arena that it's okay to to play at the fringes it's okay to play with the fungible players someone else out there is just gonna do it and this this time last year maybe you would have asked you know are you gonna pick up jose fernandez and i would have said nah i'm gonna stick with my dylan gee because he's a proven guy and i you know i would have lost so you know this this week it's you know you're gonna you're gonna pick up chris Colabello. Well, I'm not going to pick him up in, in, in most leagues, but in a, in a high-stakes arena where you need to take a chance, you know, I may take him over a Nick Marcakis or something, you know, something like that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be patient on my stars. I know all that sort of stuff. But I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with you know, rolling at the fringes, rolling at the uh, edges, and trying to get that diamond in the rough. Yeah, in a lot of ways, playing fantasy baseball successfully is all about working at the margins and picking up 50 cents of extra value uh, here and 50 cents there and hoping that you can make it add up to 14 bucks because 
really, you're not going to get a $14 player under most normal circumstances in one fell swoop. Right. Or, you know, yeah, you're not, or or everybody's going to get one. So it all evens out, I think, is the other sure. way to look at it, too. You need to you make the you need to do something different than everybody else. So you know, and there are people out there that you know they don't know about BABIP and expected batting average and xFIP, and they're just out there having fun and playing the game. And this guy's hot, and they don't realize streaks were unpredictable. And they picked up the hot guy, and the hot guy turns out to be Jose Batista, and then and they beat me. So you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of a personal conundrum. Because I know, you know, air quote, the right thing to do is go by the numbers and, you know, what you expect. But in a, in a you know, a short league, in a, in, a, in, a, in a league where you're just playing against, you know, other people or if you're trying to beat an overall competition, you know, sometimes you need to, uh, to, to, to win with a bad beat instead of getting beat by a bad beat. So it's just, I know I shouldn't, you know, in, in, in certain leagues like Tout Wars where, you know, it's, the, 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 it's a different sort of pool I'm not going to, but... You know, I do dabble in the high stakes, and I look at what teams do, and I look at what the champions do, and there's always that one pickup on that team. How did they know that? And I talked to them, and I didn't know that, but I needed to take a chance. So, you know, maybe I got maybe I need to take a chance. And uh, dropping a Nick Marcakis for a guy like Colabello would certainly qualify under most people's uh, perceptions or expectations as really throwing the dice. But like you say, sometimes that's what the dice are there for—is to be thrown. Uh, Given all of what we've just talked about, Todd, where do you stand on the whole issue of whether to go hard and heavy with your fab or whether to reserve it back to deal with later situations, including league crossers and that kind of thing? Well, it depends on the on the, on the format. Uh, in the only leagues, the AL and NL only leagues, I, I sort of let my team dictate what needs to be done. Uh, sure, granted, the replacement pool isn't that great now, but if I if you do have an injury, you you get you know five and a half more months worth of of usefulness out of the player, and who knows you know it's all about at bats. If you find somebody that you know gets you the bats, maybe they don't have the batting average that you'd like from a player, but they're going to get some counting stats for the next five to six months. They're still pretty useful. So I'll let the you know injuries dictate. I won't let slumps, but I will let injuries dictate what I do there. And my general rule of thumb. Actually, in mixed leagues and in AL only and NL only, if I'm going to get a player, if I'm going to get a player early, I'm going to get the player. I'm not going to worry about, you know, all right, I, th- I think he's going to go for, you know, for 28 out of 100 units. I'll bid 29. I'll bid 42. I want if I'm going to if I want the guy, I want the guy, and I'll I'll let the I'll figure it out at the end if I'm a little bit short on fab, because the worst thing you can do is put band aids on at the beginning that cost just enough so that when the bigger players come over, you're not in the running. So you either want to get the guy early, you know, the, the, the impact or potential impact guy early, or you want to be able to get the potential impact guy later. Uh, I prefer, you know, if I don't have any injuries, that's great. Maybe the guy comes over at the deadline, maybe he doesn't. But I'm not going to hoard uh, anymore, especially because there just aren't a lot of impact trades. In mixed leagues, I don't worry about it. If If I... If I wake up in the morning and I overbid, I don't. I, I say everybody else underbid. If you know, especially in mixed leagues, because there's always going to be somebody you can. If you're smart about getting a, a dollar or two guy, uh, you know, a week in advance before everybody else knows about the guy, you can usually end up managing your fab in a, in a shallower mixed league effectively, even if you don't have very much of it. 
Yeah, and and you you made reference to the idea of saving your money in expectations of that player being traded across leagues if you play in a single league format. And really, I was racking my brains trying to think of the last time that there was a handful of those kind of trades done. And it it seems to me that there are just fewer and fewer of those kind of deals where guys are crossing over leagues. And I think, Todd, that's because major league teams now realize they don't want to be in dump trading mode. That the young, cheap player under salary control for, for six years has a value that may even exceed the uh, temporary benefit that you get from acquiring a stud at the cost of two top prospects. And they're just not willing to do it anymore, and that means that there's no reason for those players to cross over. And the second thing is, so many more teams are in the playoff race towards the end because of the wild cards that there are fewer sellers. Oh, absolutely. Um, prospect, you know, the cost of a prospect, the, the likelihood of a prospect helping you isn't as much yeah but i think the first thing you mentioned is it, to me is the bigger one in that you know clayton kershaw xander bogarts these these kids are being signed you know they're being bought out of their arbitration years or they're even their second like kershaw their second contract was was signed before their first contract you know technically expired and they're not even on the market because these are the guys that would be traded the only guys in the market now are the older the elderly you know cc well cc sabathy won't be traded cliff lee might be uh might be moved to the deadline you know play, players at the tail end of a of a end loaded contract those are the guys that could be moved at the deadline and you know they they might they may be helpful you know but i'm not going to wait for them because, you know, it, it, Murphy's Law, it seems if you're strong on pitching and you've got the hammer at the deadline, guess who the only player moved yeah. is? He's a pitcher. Ah, oh, well, you can make a trade. Anytime, you, you know, anytime you're reliant upon making a trade, it sounds great. It makes for great fodder, and it sounds cool. But uh, anytime you're reliant upon making a trade, it's never as good as it's just getting, the, getting what you need directly. Turning back to uh, roster management, something that's been very obvious this year, more than I can remember in years past, is what an immense amount of injuries we've been having. I mentioned at the top of the show all the players who've been going on the DL. It's a a veritable, uh, not an all-star team necessarily, but a pretty decent fantasy team. Teixeira at first, Profar at second, Middlebrooks at third. Uh, Reyes and Iglesias at short. You got outfielders, uh, including Avisal Garcia, just went on the DL for the year a couple of days ago. He's on one of your rosters, isn't he? You just named four of my labor players. Thank you, Patrick. It was such a it was yes. such a great day. Yeah, I, I, I my mixed labor. You just named and you, what you you didn't get to pitching. Had you gotten to pitching, maybe you would have mentioned Aroldis Chapman and, and Doug Fister, and then take a little bit more salt and, and rubbed it into David Robertson and and Chris Medlin. I have all these guys on my mixed labor team, so it's uh it's going to be a fun year. But you know the, these I went out and I I spent two thirds of my fab the first uh, period just because. I can't, you know, I can't wait. I, I need to replace these guys. It's a 15-team mixed. The replacements weren't fantastic, but, you know, they were, you know, they were, they're, they're playing, or at least in the good side of a platoon. And what I have to hope is when, you know, when, when Jose Reyes comes back, he's a free agent acquisition for me. You know, when, when Aroldis Chapman comes back and Doug, Phil, Doug Fister hasn't played yet, but those when these guys come back, they're equivalent of my making a move on the free agent market and everything comes out in the wash because one interesting, you know, it it sounds silly, but you get your injuries early. The replacements are a little bit better. Sometimes these people that are doing very well in the standings, they don't get injuries, but when they do get injured, the replacements aren't as good. 
and you see the guys catching up because their guys come off you know your 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 dl list is better than their reserve list and you can make up some points which also speaks towards right now don't get complacent if you can upgrade your reserve list do so with a free agent don't let the guy that has an injury get the guy if he's better if the you know if there's someone emerging that's better than one of your reserves you know get him and put him on your reserve it doesn't hurt at, at some point you're going to need him Todd, I know you've been interested in and writing about daily leagues uh, since they really started uh, spooling up and becoming more and more popular. And I'm wondering, now that we have a week of games under our belt, have you noticed anything about how daily leagues are being played, some of the strategies and tactics that are being tried, and whether any of them are being successful? Just give me your overview of uh, daily league competition a week into the year. Well, this is what you need. I mean, I don't think it's a secret. Uh, with all the different companies out there, with all the different uh, advertisements and promotions, and you combine that with the weather, what the key to these first couple weeks are, don't try to make the million bucks. Just play in the in the games where you just try to beat uh, you know, half the other players and build up your bankroll and use that money later in the year when you when you're a little more comfortable and you have a better feel for the players. So what I'm seeing, you know, there there are leagues they call them fifty fifties and double ups, where all you have to do is be better than half the people and you double your money, even if it's a two dollar entry fee and you get you know three or four dollars back. If you enter enough of those and build yourself up a bankroll, you end up playing in the larger you know win a thousand dollar tournaments you know on the house and. When there, like I said, there's so many rainouts, and there's so many people that are new to the game now that set the lineup before they go to work, and they didn't realize that their catcher's sitting, or that you know that Nate Shareholtz is facing a lefty, so he's not in the lineup, and all that sort of thing. And you got a lot of dead money out there. So at least these first few weeks, play a conservative. Don't don't go for the home run right away. Build up a little bit of a cushion and use that money to enter the tournaments. Besides all these, you're learning along the way and you get a, you become a better player. And once you're a better player, then you can start investing in some of these uh, higher priced tournaments where you win not $4, but win $400. So that's what I'm trying to do now is uh, I want to win money, but I also want to be smart. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of the situation early and uh, and just build up a little bit of a bankroll. And when you're looking at the team that you want to pick, the guys that you want to pick, have you figured out any strategies or tactics of the sort of player you're looking at when you're playing these kind of games? Well, I've got, I, mean, I think it's almost a backward answer to the question is, I know what I don't want. And it's a little bit more difficult. It's not Earlier in the season, this doesn't work quite as well. Uh, or, or it's not as important. But the two factors which you don't want to focus on are batter versus pitcher matchups. And this is the difficult one because this is what you hear about all the time. And even the announcers on the games talk about it. But batter versus pitcher matchups are not relevant. There's no such thing as it's a small sample, but but does not belong after it's a small sample. It just it, They don't go together. There's no such thing as but. It's a small sample, period. Uh, but, you, you know, you hear, you know, pundits and, you know, my fellow brethren and, and, and the announcers talk about it all the time. So you do not want to rely on that. It's non-predictive and neither is streaks. Streaks is the one that maybe isn't as, you know, earlier in the season, there's not as many streaks, so to speak. Uh, so hot and cold streaks early in the season, 
or any time in the season, they're not predictive. So what I don't want to do is rely on batter pitcher, and I don't want to rely on streaks. So what I do rely on are players play better at home, their skill, their baseline skills are better at home. I prefer home matchups. I prefer when a, a left-handed batter is facing a right-handed pitcher and vice versa. The handedness matters. The the opposite handedness hitters have a much better opportunity to get hits. Uh, and to me, the key, especially when all you're trying to do is beat the guy sitting next to you, is you don't want to screw up the pitcher. The pitcher can give you half of your points on some of these sites. You You don't want to play. I mean, you want to. Sure, you want to save money and, and try to get the cheap pitcher in there, but if you're only trying to beat half the players, at least in the beginning, don't mess up the pitcher. Find the best pitcher at home facing a weaker team and build an offense around it. You may finish you know, 42nd out of 100, but that 42nd doubled your money because the top 50 doubled their money. And then when you get used to it, then maybe you want to start looking for that sneaky pitcher at the end to, to save money when you're trying to finish first, second, or third in a tournament. So play a conservative with the pitching. Don't blow the pitching. Get solid hitting around it. Make sure they're playing. And, you know, that, you know that's the thing. You look for the head. And, it's, and the key is make sure they're in the lineups. And there's all sorts of uh, sites, Twitter out there, that have the lineups well in advance. So you can make sure you're playing with a full deck. And that right alone gives you an advantage over some of your opponents. I'm curious about your contention that the uh, sample size is too small to make these uh, batter-pitcher matchups particularly predictive. And I'm wondering if you had, uh, if your last choice came down to two guys and one of the batters had a clear advantage in 40 at-bats over his the other batter who had uh, a lesser performance against his pitcher over 40 at-bats, might that sway you, or is it just so small that you just are not going to consider it full stop? Well, the you know the big one, and, and it happened the other day, and it you know it, it certainly did not help my argument any. Uh, was, you know, was 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 Paul Goldschmidt absolutely owns? Um, it's Linscomb. I'm sorry, it's Timmy Linscomb, and he, and it, sure enough, he got a home run against him. And you know, chances are there are some hitters that indeed see the ball better, just have more confidence against certain pitchers. But the, the point being, it's non-predictive in that when we can't pick out which guys actually do and which guys don't. Uh, so I, I, I ignore it because there's usually another, th- there's usually a reason why, and it's either because it's a lefty versus righty or, or, or some such thing like that, that, the, that there's some other tell that puts a guy ahead of another guy. Uh, a, a matter of fact, at the, at the Arizona first pitch conference last November, we had the, the Sabre president, Vince Gennaro, talk about this very topic and what he's doing will be i'll be quick what he's doing is he's trying to put pitchers in the classification so it's not just timmy linscombe it's it's guys that throw certain pitches certain ways certain speeds certain breaks so it's not just one pitcher he's classifying you know a large amount of pitchers and seeing if a hitter does well against a certain classification of pitcher and then if a pitcher falls into that classification you can say he may have an advantage over that pitcher that night. So there, it's still a work in progress, but that's to, it wasn't necessarily applicable to, to daily. It was more you know for pinch hitting for, for baseball, but I found it applicable or it possibly applicable to, to the daily, you know, in that, you know, is it is to such and such a hitter, does he have more success against, you know, fastball pitchers that throw a certain speed and keep the, a certain percentage of their pitches in this part of the zone as opposed to a particular pitcher? 
Uh, so that that's kind of I think that's interesting work that keeping my eye on that might help us down the line as far as setting some of our lineups. It is really interesting work by classifying them. Of course, you get larger sample sizes if you can say that against this type of pitcher, this batter does well over. 1500 at bats you can be much more confident than over any particular one of the 40 guys in it at 35 at bats it is interesting do you know if there's any work underway at the other side of the coin whether certain kind of pitchers do well against classifications of hitters that i don't know uh i'm not sure that's an interesting yeah the flip side of it is i don't i don't know that uh if, if that sort of work is being done um that would help obviously would help choose your pitchers yeah that's what's uh, but I, I, you, you'd have to therefore have a team of hitters that has a preponderance of p- players that fall into that classification. So I'm not sure how, if it's as actionable as it is if you can find a, the hitter versus pitter matchup. Right. Uh, I suppose there could be a team. I, to me, it's just if a team is heavily loaded lefty or righty, it's a telltale sign to either use or don't use that pitcher against that team that night. Uh, and again, the lineups are usually readily available. Uh, to find out. So I, I don't know how actionable that would be, but I think on an individual basis it might be interesting. I'm just not sure how on a, on a per-game predictive basis it, how useful it might be unless you have a team that's really overloaded with a either a good or bad hitter for that pitcher. Yeah, and it would depend on how precisely or finely you defined the hitter category or the pitcher category for that matter. If you could keep it down to like A through F rather than A through, you know, CX or something like that with hundreds and hundreds of classifications. Right, yeah, exactly. That would make a difference. But what I'm, I, I would think that if you had even a situation where three of a team's better hitters were all classification C and a particular pitcher was weak against that, that classification of hitter, you might want to, even though it's only a third of the lineup that he's going to be facing, it might be enough to make you say, you know what, I'm going to look somewhere else. You know, this this guy's really bad against Miguel Cabrera-type hitters, and in addition to Miguel Cabrera, he's also got to face, you know, Victor Martinez and whoever happens to fall into the classification, uh, and that, and that's enough to convince me. I mean, we, I think we're already doing that on a small scale. You know, there are certain, you know, there are certain lineups that do strike out more, and then there are certain lineups, you know, like the Red Sox that are very good at taking pitches. Uh, you know, I don't want to have a you know, someone with any sort of control issues at all facing the Red Sox because they can, you can wait them out. And, you know, some of these strikeout pitchers, you went against teams that strike out more. And I think you can even, there are teams that, you know, the more free swinging and, you know, a lot of fly ball hitters against, you know, fly ball pitchers. So I think you, there's a rough, even already we can do it, but I think, you know, we're looking to take that to the next, to the next level um, as well. But, you know, to a certain extent, we are already matching up, and quite frankly, uh, we Las Vegas, the the odds makers kind of do it for us as far as pitching goes. You know, people that have been doing this, they uh, one of the hints they tell us is to take a look at see how the odds of a, of a, when you're when you're trying to take a pitcher that is, take a look at the odds of who, who Las Vegas thinks is going to win that game, and that might not be a bad pitcher to use. And who knows what information they're using to determine that. They may be way ahead, way ahead of us already, and may, they may already have that information for all I know. With the caveat that sometimes those lines are set based on the expectation the bookie has of where the public is going to be on, on which side of a bet and trying to maximize his revenue by placing the odds such that he gets the favorable um, revenue 
stream that derives from from guys betting with their hearts rather than with their heads, and you're trying to take that into account. Todd, uh, always a pleasure. This was really interesting, as always, and we'll catch up with you again next week. Excellent, Patrick. Looking forward to it, as always. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, FantasyAlarm.com, MastersBall.com, and ESPN.com appears every Friday here on Baseball HQ Radio. Our pitcher matchups and master notes are next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. You worried about getting fined? He's going on to get fined. I shouldn't get fined a dog not penny. He screws something up, but I get fined for it. He makes a bad call. All I'm doing is telling him in the dugout the ball's high. He's got rabbit ears and looks over at me, and then he throws me out of the game. Then he tells me I want chill time. Who should get fined? Why don't umpires get fined? I get fined. I can't throw him out. That's what bothers me about the game. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries, and we lead off this inning of our show with our matchups segment. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings run from plus 5, which is as good as it gets, a must-start, to minus 5, which is a must-sit. Recommended pitchers have matchup ratings of 2.0 or higher, while pitchers to avoid have ratings of 0 or worse. Now here to look at Justin Masterson at the White Sox, Tim Hudson hosting the Rockies, and more. Here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. This weekend features an unusual split between Saturday and Sunday matchup ratings. On Saturday, we have six recommendations and six warnings. But on Sunday, we have only three recommendations and just two warnings. The Cleveland at Chicago contest on Saturday features one of the starters we recommend facing one of those we warn against. Justin Masterson comes calling with a matchup rating of 208. He faces Felipe Paulino, who is saddled with a minus 154. U.S. Cellular's hitter-friendly environment will hurt Paulino more than Masterson. Between the two, Masterson has the higher ground ball rate and Paulino has the higher fly ball rate. Another Saturday warning is against Cincinnati's Alfredo Simon. He had an impressive first start, but that PQS5 came at pitcher-friendly City Field against the anemic Mets. So far this season, the Mets are batting all of 190. Things will be different for Simon against Alex Cobb and the Tampa Bay Rays in Great American Ballpark. The home run rate there is the highest in the majors. Two of the Sunday recommendations are worthy of mention. Tim Hudson is at his new home in San Francisco to face Tyler Chatwood of the Rockies. Hudson has started this season with two PQS dominant outings, and last season only the Miami Marlins had a worse road record than the Rockies. We'll finish our review with a riddle. When is a recommendation not a recommendation? When it's Tyson Ross at home in pitcher-friendly Petco Park with a 274 matchup rating. Why? Because matchup ratings for April are based on last year's performance and Ross's performance so far this year casts some doubt on his hot second half from 2013. On top of that, he's facing 2013 Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer of Detroit, and Scherzer comes in with an even higher matchup rating of 292. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Attention daily streaming league and salary cap gamers and anyone looking for an edge in starting pitcher management. BaseballHQ.com has comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day to help you make the winning choice. 
Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly comment on baseball and fantasy baseball, and here with a look at his favorite tool in the BaseballHQ.com toolkit, here's BaseballHQ.com speculator columnist and co-general manager, Ray Murphy. There are a million reasons to love the start of baseball season. One unheralded reason is that my favorite tool at Baseball HQ is an in-season tool. I'm referring to our starting pitcher report. Each April, I like to take a few minutes to talk about this tool in hopes of driving more people to use it. Consider this my annual public service announcement. The tool is based in our pure quality starts methodology for evaluating starting pitcher performance. You can read the full description of PQS in our glossary if you need a refresher. The gist of it is that we give each pitcher outing a score of 0-5 to based on skill factors rather than results. Earned runs are not one of the criteria, but the scores correlate very strongly with ERA. Compiling comprehensive PQS data for every single major league start gives us the ability to do some fun things with that data, with the starting pitcher report being the best example. What we do in the report is take that historical data and use it to derive a score for each future pitcher outing. In this way, we're taking PQS scores, which are by definition backward-looking evaluations of pitcher performance, and turning them into a forward-looking tool. It's proven to be a powerful way to answer the question, how is my pitcher going to do in his next outing? Of course, to answer that question, you have to account for not just the quality of the pitcher himself, but also the opposition and venue. To do that, we compile the PQS data for all other pitchers who have faced opposing offenses and slice that data by home road and handedness of the starting pitcher. The result is that we end up with two numbers. The first is an average PQS score for the starting pitcher split by home or road as appropriate. The second is an average PQS score for all pitchers who have faced that opposing offense, also split by home road as well as the handedness of the starter. Then we compare the two to come up with a matchup score. Let's look at an example. On April 10th, R.A. Dickey faced the Astros in Toronto. For the first part of the equation, we look at Dickey himself. At home, he has an average PQS score of 3.5. For the second part of the equation, we look at the opponent. All other right-handed pitchers who have faced the Astros outside of Houston have posted an average PQS score of 3.54. Plug those values into our formula, which basically just inverts the opposition number and compares the two values, and you get a matchup score of 2.04. The results fall on a minus 5 to plus 5 scale, so Dickey's 2.04 rating for that outing falls just above our must-start threshold of 2.0. By comparison, negative scores are must-sits, and anything in the 0 to 1.99 range is considered the risk-reward zone. Every day at Baseball HQ, we write a brief daily matchups column that essentially synthesizes these scores, providing the best and worst pitcher choices for the day, as well as the most interesting risk-reward plays. For the first nine days of the season, the 18 best bet starters in that column performed as follows. Seven of the 18 had PQS5 outings, with another four having PQS4s. Four had PQS3s, there were no PQS2 or 1s, and two of the 18 had PQS0 disasters. One of the starts was rained out. That's a tiny sample size, of course, but those results are consistent with longer-term analysis we've done on this approach. The best part? Since we need a decently sized data set for this to work, for the month of April, we run the report against last year's PQS database. So, so these results aren't even based on current year data yet. The tool is simple and it's powerful. That's why it's my favorite tool on our site. 
and we're making it even better this year. We'll soon be adding a special version for two-start pitchers and adding a CSV download capability to allow for further data manipulation. Anyone who struggles with which pitcher should I start today or this week should be first looking at this report for input into that decision. And if you're playing daily games, this data is absolutely critical for making your daily pitcher choices. There is a ton of randomness in daily game play, but one aspect that is not random is picking the right starting pitchers, and this report can give you a huge leg up toward finishing in the money. We'll probably have more to say about daily games later in the season, but for now, check out our starting pitcher report. It may very well become your favorite Baseball HQ tool as well. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager and speculator columnist at BaseballHQ.com and a member of the rotation for Masternotes. You can get Masternotes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition for April the 11th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 24 of the 2014 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday Talk with Todd correspondent, the great Todd Zola. Our HQ Matchups commentator was Greg Fishwick. And our Master Notes commentator was BaseballHQ.com co-general manager and speculator columnist Ray Murphy. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four days with our Tuesday Tout Edition featuring Rotoman, author and Tout Wars Commissioner Peter Kreutzer. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.